if I've not met you before, my name's Jacinda and uh, my husband Matt and I are the pastors here at Coast Vineyard. If I've not met you, I'd love to. And a uh, special welcome to family and to friends that are here to support these families as they are dedicating their little ones today. It's a really precious day. And, uh, and if you are visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here. And if there's anything we can do to help make that easier for you, then please come chat to me or to Kiran who uh, did our notices, or any of our welcome team, they're amazing. They usually loiter up the back at the end, around the info area or the door, you can find them. Well, as uh, many of you know, we were away last weekend, Matt's away again this weekend, doesn't make a habit of it, but he's back next weekend, so you'll be able to meet him if you haven't already. And, uh, but last weekend, uh, we went over to Melbourne uh, with uh, Rebecca and Kiran, our assistant pastor and our youth pastor. We were invited over there, by uh, Kirk Delaney. I think we've got a photo. There they are. That's Kirk and Nicole. Some of you would have met Kirk when he came out and spoke at our birthday last year. Uh, they are the national directors for the Vineyard in Australia and they invited us over to their uh, leadership uh, retreat conference thing that they do with their pastors and leaders. And so we thought this would be a great opportunity. The uh, main speakers were Janet and uh, Phil Strout. Did we fix that photo? Oh, you guys are so good. I, when I loaded this, it flipped it upside down. I did everything I knew how to do to flip it the other way. It didn't work, but these guys work magic. Uh, Phil and Janet, they are the national directors for the Vineyard in America, and uh, they oversee 600 and something or other churches is their job. They travel a lot. They've been doing ministry for over 40 years, and they were teaching on leadership uh, stuff last weekend. And so they both have a lot of experience and wisdom to impart, uh, and just who they are as people uh, is infectious. So we were really thrilled to be able to go over and join with our wider Vineyard family across the ditch, see and hear what God's been up to over there and uh, further afield. And just brilliant uh, as well, being able to take Rebecca and Kiran to continue to invest in them in their leadership development. So it's pretty cool. Are we getting lots of echo? Yeah, it's all right, Michael will fix it because he does everything, makes them sound good, better than I actually am. So last weekend was a big weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, like we would have had to have lived under a rock, I think, you know, to have missed what it was all about, you know, with that royal wedding. And uh, all week, it's been like this buzz, hasn't it? Like, what did she wear and who turned up at the wedding and, you know, what happened? And one of the highlights of that service was Bishop Curry's message. That has got like the whole world talking about the gospel. Whether they liked it or not, it's kind of irrelevant. Uh, Two billion people heard his 14-minute message on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was pretty epic, I thought. It was quite funny watching though, wasn't it? Because there was a whole bunch of people in the room that didn't quite seem to know what to do with themselves. (laughs) It was quite fun. And apparently the cameraman didn't quite know who to like zoom in on because they kept finding people looking slightly awkward or bemused. But, uh, but one, of his, uh, one of the big themes of his message was there is power in love. In fact, it, they grabbed a hold of that, and in the London Times, it was front page. There is power in love. We know that, don't we? We've all experienced that to some degree. And for those of us who have uh, chosen, oh, thanks, Peter, who have chosen to follow Jesus, we have encountered love in, in a way that we never expected. Because God is love. And so for, you know, this message of love to have captivated the attention of the world is an indication of how much we long for it, how much we want it. And one of the things that love does in us 
its effect on us is it creates compassion. And compassion is at the heart of God. It's who he is. We, uh, we read uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those who... Uh, those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves received from God. Compassion. He is the father of compassion. Compassion, if we think about what that means, it's, it's really, it's love and action. Compassion is aroha. It is this fellow feeling, this co-feeling. It's, it's this desire that as we see someone in pain or suffering or going through something hard, it is this desire, this compulsion for us to want to step into that with them and help to make a difference to their mental or emotional or physical difficulty. That's compassion. And throughout Scripture, we see God's movement towards and his concern for the lost and the least and the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable. He is the father of compassion. He cared about them enough that he made sure that his people, the people of Israel, had it written in to their laws and to their practices, even in the way that they would harvest their crops, was all set up in such a way that it made sure that it provided for the care of the least within their society. Now Jesus, he came and he went on in that vein, didn't he? He continued to teach about compassion, but he didn't just teach it. He lived it. He embodied it. His interactions with people were just radically different from what anyone had seen before. In Matthew verse, chapter 9, verse 36, there was, um, Matthew was one of the disciples and he went on to write about his experiences and all that he learnt from Jesus. And he said, of the, he said this, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. His response to human need is compassion, is love and action. And so we're, we're working through this uh, short series, Kingdom Values, at the moment. And there's a whole bunch. Like if we read the Bible, there's a lot of things that really matter to God and that matter to us. And, uh, and we've just picked out some. I wanted to thank Susie, wherever she is. Did a great job last week of talking about us growing up before we grow old. Uh, that's a Kingdom value, is that we grow, that we learn. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things that we really wanted to make sure we lean into is this whole area of compassion. It's, it's core for us because it's central to God. We don't get to choose. And, uh, and so in, in knowing that I was preparing for this, uh, you know, I've been sort of doing some reading and bits and pieces. And last Sunday night when we flew back in from, from Melbourne, we got in, it was just after midnight, and we came through the airport, and uh, you know you go through the customs bit where you slide your you know, passport in face down and then you look at the bright light, which after midnight's never good. Uh, but you know, you do all of that and then you go through and then you go wait for your bags. Well, just as we would come through that and we were walking along, I, just, I don't know why, but I just happened to notice a young mum and her looked to be a two-year-old in her arms and a friend, and they were sort of coming up to the customs agent. And... I don't know what it was that caught my attention about them, but as I turned and watched them, I saw the little girl go stiff in her mother's arms and start to shake. 
And I said to Matt, I think she's having a seizure. And so we slowed down some more. There weren't loads of people around. And, uh, but, you know, you kind of like, she could have had epilepsy. This might be part of their journey with her. You know, they might be used to this. So I just slowed down. And then realized very quickly that this was not normal for them. As the mother, she would have only been in her 20s, suddenly cried out, my baby's having a seizure. And the friend was panicking, she was panicking, the customs agent was panicking, quickly trying to radio, you know, paramedics. And no one sort of seemed to know what to do. Now, I am not a medical person for a reason. I'm in awe of those who are in the medical field. It seems like anything can come their way and they just calmly take it all in and just deal with it. I am not that person. And, uh, and normally I would have been pretty quick to be just keeping on, moving on, but there was no one else really that seemed to know what to do. And before I really thought about it, I just, I just went over to them. I, didn't, I was kind of probably breaking all sorts of security rules, but anyway. Um, and just, you know, all I know from first, basic first aid, you put them in the recovery position, you kind of have to just wait till the seizure's over, right? And make sure she's breathing and protect her head. So I encouraged the mum to do that, pop my hand under her head, and, and then, then I suddenly realised, I don't know what else to do. Um, please God, send someone who does, you know? And, uh, and so we just were there. It was only, it didn't take very long before thankfully somebody Another passenger realised that something was happening and she came over and she knew what she was doing. So I was able to just quietly slip away. And I, was, I left, when we you know, went and got our bags, and on the drive home I just thought, something's changed because there would have been a time that that would have just completely freaked me out. And I would have, out of fear, probably not done anything because I recognised my lack. And yet, the th and, and I just felt like God said, but that's what compassion does. The thing that grabbed my heart and propelled me forwards towards this lady and little girl was the panic and terror in the mum's voice. And as a mum, I've been through those sorts of times where things happen to your kids that are beyond your control and you're just like, God, so, you know, look after my baby moments, you know? And it was that that just grabbed me and propelled me forward. And I felt like God said, that's what compassion is. It almost isn't, it doesn't engage your brain necessarily, you know, at some sort of level. It's just this movement of our heart towards the suffering of another that we want to go and help with. And our help might be pretty minimal, like mine was really, in that moment. And I don't tell that story to make myself sound good. It was just what happened last Sunday. And in the context of knowing what I was preparing this week, it was interesting and felt like God was using that. And Jesus did that stuff all the time. He went out of his way. He was intentional about spending time with people that the rest of his society had decided didn't matter or that you shouldn't be with. If for those of us who know scripture, you know, we need to remember who he hung out with. You know, he hung out with uh, people like tax collectors. Now, I know that you know, in this day and age, things are a little different. We don't love IRD, but we wouldn't not hang out with them. Um, but, but in Jesus' day, the reason why tax collectors were so hated was because they were Jews that were betraying their own people, taking their money, usually taking a skim off the top for them and giving it to the Roman conquerors who didn't treat the people well. They were traitors. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with women and children 
And this isn't to say that women and children aren't valuable. We know that that's not the case. But within the society that he was in, they didn't have any power and they had very little value. But he chose to hang out with them. He spent time talking to them. He touched the untouchables. He touched lepers. He touched the ritually unclean. Now, within Jewish society, you had to do all these things to be considered ritually clean, to be able to go to the temple and participate in normal life. And if somehow there were all sorts of ways you could become unclean, and if that happened, you had to sort of do a whole lot of things to sort that out before you were allowed back into normal uh, relations with other people and with God. Being a leper didn't just mean that you had a serious illness. You were ostracized. You were not welcomed into normal interaction with people. There was a woman in the New Testament that we read about who had been bleeding. She had been hemorrhaging for years. She came to Jesus for healing. She should not have touched him because he, she would have made him unclean. And he touched her anyway and healed her. That didn't just restore her body. That restored her emotionally, mentally, relationally, and socially with the people that were in her world. It was profound. It's a bit like, I was trying to think of a contemporary example of how profound this stuff was. And uh, do you remember, for those of you who were around in the 80s, which is not that contemporary at all, but there was this photo that went all over the world of Princess Diana, keeping in theme with the royals this week, but Princess Diana was visiting a hospital where AIDS patients were. Now at the time, the understanding was is that you could catch AIDS just by touching someone who had it. There was this photo, which if you saw it now, you young ones, you'd look at it and think, what's the big deal? It was massive at the time. It was her shaking the hand of an AIDS patient who were our lepers of the day. She was shaking their hand without gloves on skin to skin, it radically affected the whole world's perspective of AIDS patients and HIV positive people. That's, that's, you know, like that kind of rippled everywhere as people heard about that and saw that. The same thing happened with the stuff that Jesus was doing. We didn't have the internet and tally to show everybody that stuff, but word would get out that this was the sort of thing he was doing. He was showing compassion towards these people. It was active, it was participatory. He touched them and changed their lives. And, and the, and, but it raised a whole bunch of questions for people, particularly the religious ones, because he was sort of breaking a whole bunch of rules. It's a bit of a rebel, really. And they didn't quite know what to make of him. And so uh, there was an episode in Luke where we're told Luke is one of his disciples. He um, writes a letter that tells us a whole lot of stuff that happened during Jesus' life. And he talks about this time when uh, 70 or so of Jesus' disciples and friends, they had all been sent out to go and do ministry and mission elsewhere. And they come back, and they've had this time of sort of catching up and sharing stories and celebrating all the cool stuff they've seen God do. And, uh, and towards the end of that, a lawyer, an expert in the law, he's described as, so a, he was an expert in the Jewish law, which is the, a lot of it's the Old Testament. It's all they had then. He came up and started to talk to Jesus and asked some questions, and Jesus' response is to tell him a story. He did that a lot. 
Have you ever wondered why it is that he tells so many stories? We call them parables in the Bible. He uses stories to help us to see the kingdom of God among us. That's the purpose of his parables, is to help us to see the kingdom of God among us. So why don't we read that together? If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Luke 10, 25 to 37. Most of you have phones, and that's where your Bible lives. Um, So you're welcome to pull out your device and read along with me. But this is Luke 10, 25 to 37. And then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (coughs) He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wants the fine details, but like lawyers, really, isn't it? Want the fine print. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, and this is where he starts going into this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Another word you can put in there is compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, giving them to the, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you with whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That's how he answered him. Now there's a whole bunch of things we can unpack in that parable, but for the sake of today, because we're wanting to lean into this whole thing of compassion, we're mostly going to focus on the actions of the Samaritan. But there's a couple of things worth noting. Jesus did this amazing thing whenever he used stories and parables, is he would usually use aspects of people's lives that were just pretty normal and frameworks they would understand to help them to see things in a different way. But he would use reference points that they would get. Now this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was renowned for it being really dangerous. It was called, what was it called? It was called the Bloody Way because robbers were notorious on that road. It was like if we were going to go there, we would be encouraged by our insurance companies to take out travel insurance. You know, Or you know how you hire a car in Queenstown and they're like, you can drive this anywhere except this particular road, which is really dangerous and you're not allowed to go down there. It was a bit like that. It was a road that everybody knew was really dangerous. Now the Samaritan, why is it a big deal that it was a Samaritan that Jesus chose to to be the good guy, if you like, in this story? Well, the Jews and the Samaritans had hated each other for, for hundreds of years. Like, really, really hated each other. They would desecrate each other's temples. They had zero respect and concern for one another. So, what do we see the Samaritan do? 
we're told that he was moved with pity. If you look up the word, it can be compassion. Pity and compassion are, you know, very close to one another. The thing with compassion is that it propels us into action. It's love and action. He was marked by compassion. So some of the characteristics then of this compassion, what do we see? It can feel risky. It's risky to move towards someone you perceive to be your enemy to give help. It was risky for him because they were on a road that, you know, he didn't know if the guy was for real or if he was just pretending. He could have been a robber himself, setting him up, which is possibly why the Levite and the priest didn't stop. They just carried on going, just out of trying to stay safe. It's risky. It can feel risky for us to move towards people that we don't know, who may be really different from us, but that need help which takes us into the next thing, which is this is a decision, it's not just an emotion. We will feel compassion towards people when we see, all of us would have experienced this, all of us would have seen someone, you know, they've had a car accident or they've lost a loved one or some, you know, the other year a tree fell on someone's house from our church, you know, like we feel for other people, don't we? Compassion moves us to make a decision to act. That's where it's a little different from like empathy. Compassion sees us act. It's a decision to act and do something. And by doing something, it will cost us. For the Samaritan, it cost him, uh, he had to use his animal uh, to move him around. He had, it cost him his time. I can't imagine that as he set out for his trip that day that he was like, right, I've got all these things on my to-do list, but I've got about an hour and a half to two hours extra that I could probably squeeze in helping someone on the side of the road. You know? It cost him his time. It cost him his energy. It cost him his resources, his money. That two denarii that he gave to the innkeeper is worth two days' wages. And he was prepared to pay more if, there was, if it was needed. That's what compassion will require of us. Time, energy, resource. But we just start with what we have. Even if it's a bit inconvenient, we start with what we have. And it's personal. He got his hands dirty. This is maybe another reason why the priest and the Levite didn't even come near him. If they had touched him thinking he might have been dead, that would have made them ritually unclean. And they, they were dedicated to working within the temple. So they had to be ritually clean. So that's another reason why maybe they didn't get involved. But he did. He got dirty. He would have got dusty. He would have got blood on him. For the non-medical person. You know? But he, he got in there. He got his hands dirty. Compassion requires us to actually do that to just get in there. And he partnered with others. And sometimes we find that, don't we? When we move towards someone we want to help, we realize, actually, I don't even have all of the resources needed to help this person, and so I'm going to partner with somebody else or an organization or a group of us are going to look after this person. We can partner with one another. We don't have to feel like we have to. I mean, look, the reality is, guys, for, there is more need in this world than we will ever probably be able to fill, and certainly more than any one of us is going to be able to meet. And so we need to be able to partner together 
to be able to bring care and compassion to others. But there's some, while there's some challenges for us in terms of compassion, there's some real benefits as well. They've done all sorts of psychological tests and you know, scientific studies and all sorts of things around this area of compassion. And some of the things that they find is that it brings us joy. If we want to be happy and feel full of joy and purpose and like I've just done something significant today, help somebody. Act in compassion towards someone makes a big difference for us. We don't do it for that, but isn't that a bonus? Like, that's amazing. It just feels good, doesn't it? Another thing it does, completely random, as far as I can tell, it boosts our immune response. Somehow this is so good for us, our immune system goes, yeah, I'm in, and makes us healthier people. Don't understand it, but there you are. And another important thing is, is that as we act and compassion towards others is that it makes us less afraid of suffering. We in the West don't do well with this. The Western church doesn't always do so well with this. We have somehow scrubbed the gospel clean and created this expectation that if we follow Jesus, then we are not going to suffer in life, that everything is going to be great, you know, like glasses with really rose-tinted lenses on. So then when we do encounter hard times, when we do encounter illness or death or pain or suffering or all of the things that are a part of the human condition and this fallen world we live in, we are ill-equipped often to deal with suffering. Here's the thing. We follow a king who carried a cross. Suffering is part of following Jesus. And so rather than be afraid of this, we, as we step into this alongside one another, have the opportunity to actually learn to meet him in the midst of that. And then we are less afraid. That is actually a huge thing for us. So this is a call, this call to compassion, this invitation by God to mark us with compassion, for him to give us his heart towards people, is something that each one of us has a choice to respond to. And for us as the church, as well. You know, that, that legacy of compassion that has been this thread that has just gone all through church history as Jesus' followers have sought to do this. You know, we're just a young church. We're five years old in August. And we're really just getting started. You know, it feels like we're just scratching the surface. But we're going to just, we're starting there. But our expectation is, is that God's compassion is going to propel us out Yes, we look after the people that are part of Coast Vineyard, but beyond ourselves, into the wider community, to be able to extend God's compassion to everyone we encounter, and that we would develop this lens of compassion through which we would view all people and the world at large. That's what we want to grow into as, you know, part of our growing up is that, that we would grow into that. There's... Uh, Someone in our church who, she doesn't want me to say this, but it's true, she inspires me. Um, she would just feel like she's just doing what, you know, it's common sense, she tells me. But, uh, but her journey into this whole area of compassion has led her to some quite interesting places and to do some interesting things. And um, I've asked Amanda to come and chat with us a little bit about some of that. And I emailed her a little while ago, and it was when you were, your whole family were over in Nepal and visiting uh, 
I'll let you tell more about what it was you were visiting over there. But, um, but she, at the end of an email, we'd sort of been back and forth on a few different things, we're just touching base, but she said this, and it just stuck with me. I'm pretty exhausted, but amazed as always how easy it is to love and what a difference that love makes in others' lives because there's power in love. And this is an act, a, a love that demonstrates itself through compassion. So can we just welcome Amanda up? Come on up. So guys, I've got a number of pictures that are on the slides. You can just scroll through them as you want while we chat. Here you go. So this is Amanda. And uh, you tell, why don't you tell these guys, because not everyone will know what you've been doing up in Nepal for the last 15 years. Okay, um, 15 years ago, I love trekking and so does my husband and we were up there trekking and um, it became pretty obvious that there were a lot of abandoned children, um, 10 to 12,000 at that time. And I was not a teacher and I was not a nurse or a doctor and I was not a social worker, but I felt like I couldn't walk away. So um, we went back to the guest house and I said to my husband, well, I really want to help can't take these kids home, so I have to stay and set up an orphanage. And, um, but I'm not really qualified. I don't have what it takes. And he said, well, you've got love and you've got passion. Uh, so I did. And we started off with just a few children. And now we have affected over 180 to 200 children's lives. And um, each year I go up there. And for the first time this year, I took my whole family, my biological kids. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I've just been plugging away at that, and um, my, my biggest thing was, was to... These were children who have no identity, so the government over there has no legal obligation to look after the children, which I found astounding mm. coming from a privileged place like New Zealand. And uh, I just wanted... I, I believe every single life is precious, and that we all matter, and we're all part of the puzzle. And I really wanted each child over there that I could help, that I could rescue, to know that they matter. And actually, they all the matter. They can contribute to mm. this world. Mm. And I think that's with compassion, you know. It doesn't matter what we do or where we come from or whatever our beliefs are, approach, orientation, we all can contribute and help others in some way. Yeah. So you started small. Very small. Okay. And so you started with how many people, like, because you couldn't stay forever? No, we, I started with 10 children and um, a cook and a house mummy. Okay. And that cook is still with us today, 15 years later. <laughs> and so how many people have you got working and volunteering? I know you've got some volunteers that come through as well. Yep, most of us are volunteers, um, but uh, now we've got 120 children in the orphanage and we have other programs as well. Um, and we have a skeleton staff of about 15, 20. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of them, um, interestingly enough, we've, we have shown a lot of compassion because in Nepal, uh, women who come out of prison are stigmatised and pretty much nobodies and have no identity. They can't get housing, they can't get uh, jobs, uh, they're not accepted back into their original villages. And so we actually, we just look at them as human beings and mm -hmm. so we bring them on and they become our house mummies, our deities, as they call them. And so, compassion 
is more than an emotion, it's a decision. You made a decision to actually establish this uh, children's home there. But what are some of the things, it's practical, isn't it? Compassion is practical, it's really kind Completely. of earthy. For me, I'm very much a doer. Yeah, so what are the, some of the things that you've focused in on with, with the children's home um, and wanting well, to develop? For me, the big thing was education. Um, I believe that education is the key to making really good choices mm. and for a lot of these girls in our orphanage um, they were destined to be shipped across the border into brothels so uh, I think if you've got an education at least you can grow up whether you go on to get a career at least you become an educated mother and you share the value of education with your children mm. uh, and we've seen that happen already with some of our older girls they've gone on to get married and have babies and and their teachers in their village and mm. yeah that's cool. And you've focused in on nutrition as well, haven't you? Yes, Especially also a yeah, big part of nutrition. Um, mm. Whenever we get the funds, we try and plug into basic human rights, warmth, shelter, love, and education. Um, but, you know, I, I think the greatest thing was me, and it was a gift that my husband gave me by saying, look, you've, you've got love and you've got passion and that's all you need, was um, limitations. You know, um, when you lose sight of all limitations... God's abundance just flows in in mm. great supply and you know it's like it's like Jesus the miracle he performed when there were 5,000 people he had to feed and he had what five loaves and two fish and as humans and I'm one of them our reaction is to say well there's too few loaves and too few fish you know actually I need those <laughs> there's not enough for everyone but um, part of that miracle is not is not the blessing of food that Jesus had it was actually the disciples who gave out the food, it's the passes on. Mm. And that's all I'm doing, is I'm just passing on the blessings that God has showered me, I'm just passing on that love. Mm. And, um, you know, we all have limitations, you went through them before. And one of mine was, well, you know, these are people who are Hindus and Buddhists. But if you can just go in without any judgment and any limitations, God's right there behind you and just keep supplying and keep supplying. And about a month ago, I was walking out of church with my 12-year-old daughter, and she looked up at the motto on the school and said, oh, that's a dumb motto. <laughs> the sky's the limit. She said, Mum, the sky's not the limit. And I thought, yeah, out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> it really isn't, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've journeyed a lot over this last 15 years from where you started to where you are now. Mm. What are some of the things you've noticed personally that kind of God's either taught you or changed in you over that time what what would be like a couple of the big things for you well so so much sorry <laughs> um it's grown me a lot closer to to god um because i didn't know i had so much love in me <laughs> and um you think you've got some and you give it but there's just so much more from all areas and it hits you at all corners it's amazing when you let go I think kids are really good at this. Mm. Kids uh, don't limit themselves and don't square themselves in. And I think if as adults we could do that more, be more like kids, uh, it would be amazing. I'll give you a small example. This morning my seven-year-old woke up very early and she brought Cranium, the game, into play in bed. <laughs> so there's my husband and me and the cat and the dog and my daughter and Cranium. And, uh, and she got to uh, the part where you have to act out it's called Star Performer, and you have mm -hmm. to act something out. And, um, and she said, oh, I have to do this one for Dad, and it was Lap of Honour. Hmm. And I went, oh, no, 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 let's get rid of that. Let's just stifle through the box and find one that's easy for you. No, no, I want to do that one. 
what's a lap of honour? So I told her what a lap of honour is, thinking, oh, there's no way my husband's going to get it. And I just thought, you know, this child is not limited by her knowledge. She's yeah. not limited by anything. She just wanted to give it a go. Mm. And he didn't get it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but she actually had the ability to describe to him afterwards what lap of honour was. And mm. this is from a child who's uh, dyslexic. So I was really amazed. That's awesome. <laughs> that's nothing. Well, it's nothing to do with compassion, but it's an example, I think, of what holds back compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all restrained as adults, yeah. and I, I just say, lose sight of all limitations, as God's got it. He's got it in His hand. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. If you want to find out more, this is Amanda. Go talk to her. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and you can have a look at more about what they're doing over in Nepal in, on their website, which is Firefly Children's Home. Have I got that right? Firefly Children's Home. So you can uh, take a look and see. I stole that picture off of the website. Pretty cool, hey? I think one of the challenges for us, you know, we can hear a story of Amanda and think, well, I'm just, I'm not her, I can't do that, you know, it's, I can't travel to the other side of the world and do a thing like that. Mind you, that's kind of how you started, wasn't it? I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know how to do that. And, and for us here on the coast, knowing who our vulnerable and marginalised and poor are is a little hard. Like, it was really obvious for Amanda in Nepal. There's all these children that no one's looking after. Even in Melbourne last weekend, I was just struck by how many people were just living on the streets. It was really cold, and people are living on the streets. Now, on the coast, we don't see that, do we? I remember talking to Julie King, who came up here and set up Love Soup, which is a charitable organisation up here on the coast, and they just provide meals for people. And she'd come from Tokoroa, and she said, coming up here... It was really hard to find the poor, as we would often define them. Poor is not just about financial limitations. We are poor in all parts of our lives. We can be, we experience that relationally, mentally, socially, you know, like physically. We can be poor in a number of different ways. So please don't let's limit ourselves to just those in financial difficulty. However, they exist here on the coast. As we as a church have grappled with, Lord, show us the poor. Who are the marginalized and who are the, the vulnerable in our part of the city? Some of the people that have come to mind for us are our elderly, are our single parents who are often, you know, stretched pretty thin. And so when things go wrong, there's not a lot of wriggle room. They don't have a lot of extra support sometimes. Our immigrants, People who have recently moved here and don't have any family, wider family support, and they aren't eligible to any of the social welfare stuff that we can fall back on often as Kiwis, but sometimes when they come, jobs don't come through that what they were promised. Or, you know, they, someone gets sick and they have kind of got just limited resources to be able to meet those needs. We've been able to actually help already with you know, a number of immigrant families that we've had relationship with, but that is just the beginning. We are in a growing part of the city, and we've got people coming from all over the world. That's part of what makes this so exciting. You know, but they can be vulnerable. Those struggling with mental health issues are often on the margins. Those who are lonely, children and youth continue to be vulnerable. We have got people right around us, our neighbours, people we work with, that we go to school with that are in those groups. And so, uh, just some humble beginnings for us as a church. We're just baby, you know? Like, you think about someone like the Salvation Army. They've been doing this for so long on such a global scale. We're like, 
million miles away from that. But we are going to start with what we have. Now, those baskets that get sent around every week and that some of you uh, want to contribute into, all of that money goes into a, an account that we have set aside for compassion activity so that then we can respond to need as we become aware of it as a church. The decision around that is, it lies with the management team where whenever we're aware of something that's going on, then we can decide how much to give and how we do that. But some of the things that we've been able to do with that money is... Uh, uh, we, we became aware of a young boy that was not doing well in regular school. He had a number of different issues uh, in the mix for him, and um, he was really struggling, and his family were really struggling. And uh, Karen, Karen Bailey, uh, who is a member of Coast Vineyard, she has uh, a preschool, but she's also set up a school that caters for kids who just don't thrive in the regular public education system. And um, talk about compassion. This lady, like, oozes the stuff. And, uh, yeah... And uh, so we became aware that this boy was really not doing well. The recommendation was for him to be moved into Karen's school so that he could get the support that he needed. However, his family couldn't afford to do that. And they had to work all sorts of stuff out with the education department and all sorts of things. So we, as a management team, decided to cover his fees for a certain period of time so that that could happen. Another thing we've been able to do is uh, for a couple of our uh, older single women that don't have family support up here in Auckland and for a number of different reasons, uh, you know, have uh, resources are stretched pretty thin and we've been able to help with moving them uh, on occasions, cover some of their moving costs. We all know that moving house is like really expensive. Uh, we've been able to repair a car of a single mum in our community, not this community, the wider community that we heard about that couldn't afford to repair her car, she had children, she didn't have any other support, and her livelihood and everything depended on her being able to have a car. So we paid for her repairs. Emergency food, petrol, all those sorts of things, we've been able to act in concrete ways to, to help. That's what we've been using your money for. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, it's, the, it's you guys, really. It's the, it deserves the applause for the, your generosity. But that, we just don't always get to tell you all the things that are happening. So we just wanted to let you know some of those. Um, for the sake of time, I know that lots of you are involved in activity of compassion. You know, whenever anyone's having a brand new baby in this church, we have meals. I think you got, are you still getting meals at the moment? The Hussacks just had twins seven weeks ago, six weeks ago, something like that. Man, is that going to change your life? In a brilliant way. Um, but, you know, whenever anyone has new babies, it's just an intense period of time. So we always have this meal train that we set up. We take meals to them. We've been able to do that for families where it's like some of our single parents, when they get sick, they've needed some extra help. And we've been able to do that practically with meals. That's you guys that do that. Anyone seen that movie, Driving Miss Daisy? We have a version of that in action here at Coast Vineyard. Driving Miss Louie. Louie is uh, our eldest member of uh, Coast Vineyard and a number of people volunteer to drive her. They bring her to church every week. She has no family in Auckland, so we're it. And, uh, but I know that numbers of you take her to doctor's appointments, hospital, all that sort of thing when she's needed that. I know there's like a whole bunch of things that are going on. I'm so, so excited about that. And it kind of feels like we're sowing seeds, you know? that God's going to just water and grow and that's going to just take us in the, you know, places we probably can't imagine yet. So there's this call to action for all of us. This is something for all of us to get involved in in some shape or form. And how do we do that? We start with who is in front of us. 
We just start with who's there. Who are we encountering? Who is in need? The only reason we're going to know that someone is in need, the only time they're going to feel safe enough to tell us that is when we have a relationship with them. So let's get to know our neighbours. Let's get to know the people we work with and that we go to school with. So that then when they are going through something hard, we are the people that they're going to talk to. Now they will talk to us not expecting us to necessarily do anything, but we can. We can. So start with who's in front of us. Start with what we've got. We might not have much. Me, on Sunday night, had very little in terms of helping that family, but I could offer what I had. You know, it might be time. It could be our, just our energy, our doing something. It could be our resources and our money. But let's just start with what we've got. And as Amanda said, you know, God will, God will meet us. He'll meet us there. He'll provide everything that we need. Let's trust him with that. And let's keep our eyes open. Let's just, you know, kind of be attentive to what God's doing in our hearts and who it is that he brings in our, into our lives that may need us to be able to exercise and demonstrate compassion because there is power in love. And compassion is love in action. And it's something that we are all able to participate in. Sound good to you? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, we wanna, I want to have a time where we can pray together. And as I was um, coming this morning, I just felt like the Lord, with that whole story of the Good Samaritan, we may identify quite strongly with one person in the story. And I just feel like, you know, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. He's here, but we're just inviting his activity and for us to pay attention to that is as you hear the story of the Good Samaritan, who are you in it? Who do you identify with in it? Are you the guy that got beaten up? You're feeling a bit beaten up, kind of left on the side of the road. Is that you in the season that you're in at the moment? That that's, where, that's how you feel. Like, yeah, as you hear that story, it's like, oh man, that's me. I, I actually need compassion. I need someone or God to extend that to me today. Or it could be less comfortable and we recognize ourselves in the priest and the Levite. All of us probably can at some point. But it's for today. Where are we today? So what I'm going to ask you to do is, is why don't we stand? Worship, guys, I'll have you come back. The kids are going to come back and join us somewhere in the midst of all of us. So it could get messy, but that's okay. Compassion frequently is messy. So I'm just going to invite God to do what he wants to do with us this morning. Is that okay? So would you close your eyes, join me in prayer, and if you want to, you can just have your hands out. We often say to people, you know, our physical posture is, a, is kind of an outward expression of our heart's posture. And so, oh, sorry. My wires got tangled up. Okay? No? Oh, yeah. Let's try that again. So we're going to just pray together. So would you join me? So, Lord, we're thankful for your presence here with us this morning. 
We're very grateful that you're here. Lord, we're so incredibly grateful that you are the Father of compassion. And God, as we just rest in your presence, I pray that you'd come and that you'd nudge each one of us, that you'd speak to our hearts, and that as we reflect on the story of the Good Samaritan, Lord, would you help us to see ourselves in it? Lord, if we are the ones in need of compassion, if we are the ones that is just feeling beaten up and left. Lord, I pray now that you'd come and that you'd minister to those people. Lord, if we see ourselves in the Levite and the priest rushing past, missing the opportunity for whatever reason, it's not necessarily that our heart is hard, it's just we've been kind of busy with other things possibly. But God, I pray for those of us that would see ourselves there, Lord, would you come, would you give us your heart? Would you give us your heart of compassion? Would you give us eyes to be able to see people from your perspective? That we wouldn't judge, that we wouldn't hold back. That we would see people through the eyes of love. And God, I just pray too for those of us who would see ourselves in the role of the Samaritan. I pray, God, that you'd give us courage, that you'd enlarge our hearts, that you would give us more of the resource that we need to be able to give away to others. So Lord, would you come and just minister to us? For the sake of time, because our kids are going to come in, what I'd love to do is still have the opportunity for us to pray for one another in this. And so maybe, just wherever you are, you've probably come with somebody, or you've, you know, you've met a friend here or something, and if you're on your own, these people are nice and they will actually talk to you. Why don't we just talk to one another and just very briefly say, I kind of feel like I'm that person, or I feel like I'm this. And just pray for each other. We don't have to like have it all figured out. We don't have to pray big wordy prayers. It's just, you know, us being normal, talking to God together. So why don't we end with that and just pray for God to give us more compassion as we leave this place today. Can we do that? It means there's going to be a bit of stuff happening around the room. And now if you're not used to being in church and you're listening to this going, are you kidding? I don't know how to do this. You do not have to. You can just listen. You can, if someone asks you if, they, if you want to pray, you can go, no, I'm not right now. You're allowed to opt out. But pay attention to what happens around you because this is what love does. We move towards one another. Okay? Go. Talk to each other. Pray for each other. Be blessed as you go into the week. And we'll see you next Sunday.